Thanks for joining Doxa as we study the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is a testimony of Jesus' closest friend and confidant. He spent years walking, talking, and watching the Son of God be the light of the world. John captures three years that fundamentally changed the course of history. For more information, service times, or to find spiritual formation guides, please visit www.doxa-church.com or find us in your favorite app store by searching Doxa Church Eastside. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. It comes to us today from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. You guys excited to get into John? This is going to be great. Yeah, I'm super pumped. It's going to be a great series. My name's Jeff, by the way, in case I have not met you or you're new with us. It's good to have you with us. Uh, I'm very excited to get into this as well. Uh, There's a lot here, as you can imagine, just reading that, uh, and yet we're going to get through it. So buckle up. Let's go. Uh, Get your Bibles open if you have them. Also, just so you know, anytime you come here and if you don't have a Bible, there's racks of Bibles out there. You can always grab them. Uh, If you need one, raise your hand. I see some people already in our room ready to serve you. So just raise your hand. We'll give you one, one of those. It's yours to keep if you would like. If you don't have one, please take it with you. And uh, we're going to be looking at those first 18 verses in John chapter 1. Now, a little background. Uh, John is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, uh, also called the, po- the apostles, which means sent ones. Jesus uh, set apart 12 in particular uh, that he would send out to be witnesses of his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And John is one of those. John also likes to refer to himself as the, the, the disciple that Jesus really loves. So you can imagine what, that, what the rest of the disciples felt about that. But uh, what it is important to note that he even puts that in this narrative uh, because, and I think this is the important thing, if there's anybody that knew Jesus, it was John. 
There's anybody who really saw the inner workings of all that he was about, it's John. And so uh, this is a great gospel. It's often the first gospel people are encouraged to read when they're checking out who Jesus is, and I still encourage you to do that. Uh, You'll find it's also a gospel that we can't exhaust, uh, nor will we be exhausted by, because there's so much more to find as we continue to go into it. It happens to be the last of the four gospels. The first three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, are called the synoptic gospels. Matthew's goal in writing was to basically write to the Jews to help them see that Jesus is the Messiah who fulfilled all the, the requirements of the law and the prophecies. Uh, Mark was, is really like a comic book gospel. I don't mean like it looks like a comic book, but it's very fast and uh, quick and really emphasizes Jesus as the son of God, son of man, especially who came to do powerful things. Uh, and then Luke's gospel is really the OCD gospel. That's what I like to call it. Because uh, he makes sure that he writes an orderly account, a very detailed account of all what Jesus did. And so John comes along, and there are many who believe that John wrote the gospel because, and it was, it was in around AD 90, uh, but they believe that he wrote this gospel later because some of the other gospels, not that they were inadequate, but there were some things that as people read them in their context with their own worldview, misunderstood some things. So he wrote it to kind of bring a clarity to some things that weren't as clear, and he specifically wrote it to the Jews and Gentiles, and his goal is stated in John 20. So if you're in the book of John now, uh, you're going to go to the end of John. I'll have this one on the screen, so you don't have to flip, but you will want to be with following me on John 1. So I'll just read this for you, John 20, verse 30. This is Jesus, or John's reason for writing. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What you are going to see in John's gospel is that he wrote his gospel not just to record what Jesus did, but to clarify who Jesus is, okay? He wrote his gospel not just to record what Jesus did, but to clarify who Jesus is. In other words, he wrote it so that you and I would see with the help of the Spirit, that the Spirit guided John, inspired John to write down the very Word of God so that with the help of the Spirit as we read it, we would see the truth of who God is, that we would see the light as John uses. You're gonna see that that theme all the way through. And that in seeing the light, we would be open to receive him into our lives. And as we receive, we would then be able to continue to believe increasingly more and more as we see. And that's kind of the order that you're going to see is we've got to see, to receive, to believe. And then what happens is we keep doing that. And so what's going to happen as we go through the book of John, we're going to keep praying that the Spirit who inspired these very words will enable our hearts to see Jesus for who he is. And as we do, in faith, we'll want to receive all that he is for us. And in receiving, we will grow in believing more and more, which will lead, as John says, to us having life, real life, abundant life. So that's where we're headed. Now, some of you might go, man, I already, I've read this so many times. I already know, man, I know this stuff and it's not gonna be very helpful. I think I'll be going to another church for a few months. Just kidding. Don't, please don't do that. Uh, but it's okay if you need to, but because um, there's lots of great churches here. But, um, but what I would say is none of you, none of us fully see, fully know, fully believe yet. And so the beauty of this is that 
John, as many people would say about John, the gospel of John is like a pool that's safe for a child to paddle in, but deep enough for an elephant to swim in. That's really what John is. And that's why we can give John to, to a brand new a Christian or someone's just checking out. And man, you, you're gonna get to find all kinds of amazing things, but it, you can't mine the depths deep enough in all of your life to really discover all that Jesus is. So we'll just keep going back and back and back. So it's small enough or safe enough, I should say, to, for a child to paddle in, but deep enough for an elephant to swim in. So let's go swimming, okay? That's what we're gonna do. Let's get into it. This first 18 verses is what people, theologians in particular, tend to call the prologue. Okay, um, and before we consider what it says in the prologue, I want to read from F.D. Bruner, who is a commentary I'm referring to quite a bit in this particular study for me. Uh, it's very deep, it's like, or thick, it's like 1,200 pages, so I'm not recommending it unless you really want to read a ton, but it's great. Anyway, um, he says this, one feels on holy ground when entering the prologue to the gospel. Here we have the overture to the symphony of the whole gospel, the preface to the greatest story ever told, the introduction to history's central fact, the foreword to the last word, and the preamble to the realities most trusted by the worldwide church. Other theologians would say this, that the prologue is really the window through which the gospel may be read and understood. In fact, most believe that John wrote his entire narrative and then he got done and said, okay, wait a minute. I'm gonna write something now at the beginning to help everybody understand what I'm trying to help them get as they go through it. So that when they're going through it, they'll have the prologue in their mind going, oh yeah, John wanted us to not miss this and this and this and this and this. And so that all that is true of Jesus as we look at all that he did on this earth will just pop out. You'll start to see it. It's almost his way of saying, I'm giving you a magnifying glass so that you won't miss what I'm trying to show you, okay? And it's really helpful. I think he does a good job of that. Uh, I would say, as we think about uh, looking at Jesus and understanding who he truly is, that not only will we look at the realities of Christ as we go through John, but I'm praying that John will not just be read by us, but it will read us. It will read us, meaning it will help us have a window on our own soul. John Calvin says this, our wisdom insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. It is evident that man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and then come down after such contemplation to look at himself. Now that's from Calvin's Institutes. If you'd like to read more, there's a whole lot written on that, really good stuff. I'm just gonna stop there because I've got other things I need to get after with John today. So let's look at how it starts. And I want you to do this. As we dive into the text, I want you to go, who is Jesus and who am I in light of Jesus? And I also want you to do this. I want you to, as I highlight several actually just the Holy Spirit does through John, several character traits or realities or truths about Jesus, I want you to step back and say, not only does knowing Jesus help me know myself better, but knowing Jesus helps me know where I need Jesus better. And so I want you to, as we go through this, say, where do I need to see and receive and believe Jesus for myself? Verse one. 
in the beginning. Stop. Where else do you read that? Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the earth. Now, the difference here, and I, this is very important to get, in Genesis 1, 1, we start with divine doing. In the beginning, God created. In Genesis, or in John 1, 1, we start with divine being. In the beginning was the word. Now, what's really important, all of scripture is profitable for our instruction. All of it's inspired by God. All of it needs to be trusted and submitted to. But as God wrote, he also was addressing real situations. And so by the time you get to where John's at, you've got this tendency for God's people to basically pay more attention to what God does instead of who God is. So there's a real problem there because what we end up doing is we start, like Grace said, we praise God for his doing in our life and we miss the very being of God and therefore we aren't even worshiping God, we're worshiping his activity. And so John wants to get us started in the right place. In the beginning was the word, not the word did. He wants us to start with the person of God. And this word in the beginning was the word, is the Greek word logos. And we'll come back to that. But this word logos, John wants us to be very clear, is eternal. The word who became flesh, Jesus, is eternal word, the logos, okay? So John's not just informing us about who Jesus is. I wanna be clear on this. He's beginning to help us see, with the help of the Spirit, that this is the story of God and the story of the world, and this is cosmic in nature, not just personal in your own application. That's really important, because we need to see how big he is, how, how he has always been, he didn't just enter into history and become, he always was. But he then entered into history taking on flesh. And he writes, says this, whatever else John is going to tell us, he wants us to see his book as the story of God and the world, not just a story of one character in one place and time. This book is about the creator God acting in a new way within his much-loved creation. It's about the way in which the long story which began in Genesis reached the climax the creator has always intended. Now, by using this Greek word, logos, which we translate word, and by the way, throughout this whole time, you might be asking yourself, what's the better word that I need today over me, spoken in my life? This idea of word, logos, was a very familiar term in the first century. In fact, uh, Stoic philosophers, Greek philosophers, understood this idea of logos as the generative principle of all of the universe, uh, that it was this sense of the, the, the power or force next to God or in all things that gave them their life, that brought them about. And John wants to speak into that context and say, hey, it's not an impersonal force. The, the one who brought this all about, the logos, the word, is a person. And this person was with God in the beginning. And this person was God. And so very quickly, he makes three huge statements that we could spend literally the whole year unpacking this idea that Jesus is without beginning, eternal word, that Jesus was in perfect communion with God the Father in absolute harmony and union, one God, 
three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is God made flesh. That, that, that is the, the most important distinction that you can never lose or we lose all of our belief. We lose all of the gospel. We lose everything that we stand on because we need not only to be made right with God, but we needed a human to come and do what we can't do. And only God could do that because we are slaves to our sin and could not rescue ourselves. And so he came as the true word who was and was with God and is God and took on flesh to do what we can't do to save us. If we lose any of that, and you start saying, no, Jesus is not really God. He just is a human born like us. Well, then you're in big trouble because he's born into the world with sin just like us. There's so many things that I could unpack as to why that's gonna be a problem for us, but I'll let the rest of the book of John do that. So we'll move on because there's a lot more to get through. Verse three, Jesus now wants to describe not only who he is, but the nature of how who he is leads him to do what he did. Verse three, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Another way of saying it is, there isn't one thing that ever came into existence that didn't come into existence by itself. It came into existence through Jesus Christ, through the eternal word, the logos, okay? So everything, the totality of all of creation came into existence through the logos, through the word, through the son of God. Uh, the, the way that many people help, help us understand that is this concept of word that God spoke. Let there be light, and there was light. That Jesus, the Logos, the word of God, was that agent when God the Father said, let there be light. That was the Son, the word, speaking into existence everything that has ever been. Now, that's really amazing because we who are Christians in this room are saying that we're putting our hope and our faith in the one who made everything and has the power to face anything you and I are facing because if he can make the universes and universes and universes and the stars and the galaxies and all the stuff that we're still discovering and you look at your little life and go, can he handle mine? You go, are you kidding? Like if he can do that, what you're facing is not too difficult for him. The word was with God. The word was God. All things came into existence through him. Paul says it this way to the church in Colossae in chapter one, verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That word firstborn doesn't mean literally born, it means preeminent. That's, that was a code word for them back then, like he is the first. He's number one, he's top. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Don't miss that. Not only is, was all, were all things created through him, but they were created for him, and they're sustained by him. Now, what I'm hoping by the time we're done, that we experience by the time we're done with John, is you'll go, Jesus is so much more amazing than I've ever given him credit for. This is the creator of the universe who knows you, loves you, sees you, wants to be with you. And all things were created through him, but don't miss this, for him. And that word for him doesn't just mean they're his. Though Abraham Kuyper helpfully says, there is not one square inch over all creation where Jesus cannot say, this is mine. It all belongs to him. He's the Lord of creation. But 
This idea that all things were made for him isn't just that they're his. Like, you know, when you open up your gift on Christmas, you're like, this gift was given for me. It's not just that. This idea of for means to be fitted to. That, that there's this sense that the, the entirety of creation was made in such a way that it fits him. You know, like if I said, you know, you, you went to get a suit fitted for your body and when the tailor's done, they go, this suit is fitted for you. It's made for you. Not just a gift, but a fit. And the idea there is that Jesus, when, he, when the eternal word, the logos, created all things, he created them in such a way that they were meant to fit in perfect union with the Godhead. And the only way that they work, just like a suit, suit doesn't get up off the bed and walk around in your house. You have to put that thing on. And when you put it on, if it fits, you live in that suit, it works the way it was meant to work. That's the same way for a car or anything else that's fitted to the driver if you're a race car driver. It's like, it fits you. And when you're in it and it fits, it works. And so the concept here is that you and I were made, the creation was made by, G, by the eternal word for the eternal word. And the only way it really works is if it's fitted to him. In other words, you must have union with the living word. You must fit your life into his, that there is no flourishing apart from the eternal word of God, Jesus Christ. That's, that's the reality. And so some of you may be here going, I'm just kind of checking this stuff out. And I want to say every part of your life that isn't presently flourishing or working, it's likely because it's not connected to the one it was meant to fit with. And part, some of us might just go like, man, there's parts of me that are just not fitting with him, not in union with him, not building my life around and in him. That's why this year as we look at 2020, being with Jesus is our theme. We know that we will never flourish. We'll never experience the abundant life unless we are fitted with him, in union with him, walking with him, being with him. And that's why John continues in verse four. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Now I'm gonna pause just because I think it's important, even as I just say in him was life, that, that if, if you know anything about Jesus, if you know anything about the eternal logos, the son of God, you know that he is opposed to death, right? Death is, and the word, by the way, in the Bible, death really means separate or separating, separating from God, separating from one another. So there's all this idea when it talks about death, it's not just I cease to exist, it's I'm no longer connected. I'm no longer flourishing because I'm disconnected from the life giver himself. So that's what death is in the Bible. I wanna stop and just say, in light of the fact that in him was life, and today is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday, I just wanna just remind us that every single life is valuable to God, including the lives inside of a woman's belly. The unborn, the, uh, the one without a voice has the creator of the universe going, I care about that child. And I want someone to speak up for that child. And I want a church to come around someone who's struggling to think about having a child and support them so they're not alone. And, and those of you who maybe who have already experienced an abortion, he also wants you to know he wants to bring forgiveness and grace and, and renew your life as well so that you understand he is all about life, including all of us who've sinned against him. It's also 
the day before Martin Luther King Day tomorrow. And so it's not just the unborn without a voice in the womb, it's the people who are different than us, that don't share the same race or background, that are also as valuable to him as well. And so this week, let's believe that if in him is life, then we'll live like we believe. He cares about every life. Amen? Yeah, you could clap. That's one. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Don't miss that. It's in a way of saying, not only does he give you life, but his very life shows you the truth. His life is the light of man. He can, he can help you live like you've never lived before and he can show you the ways in which you aren't so that he can lead you in the way you ought to. The one who creates and sustains life is the one who shows us how to best live life. He also cares about the worst possible scenario you could ever face and he's able to overcome it. I love what John says next. Verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Referring specifically and most importantly to his death on the cross. Even when it looked like he lost, even when the the princes of darkness were cheering their hearts out thinking they won, Jesus like the Seahawks hadn't won because he waits till the end to prove that he wins, right? Because they were better than them because they lost. So we're just all sad this week. But he, he didn't lose. It looked like he was done. It looked like sin and death and darkness and wickedness had the final word over Jesus, but not so. He rose again on the third day, victorious over the worst of our fears, okay? And I want you to hear this. The Logos is not just the agent of all creation, but also the agent of our salvation. He's the agent of your salvation. You can can look to Jesus to help you overcome the very worst, because he's already overcome the very worst, Satan, sin, and death for you. And I want you to hear this. There is nothing in your life, nothing that you've done that is too dark for him to overcome. There's nothing in your life, nothing that you've done that is too dark for him to overcome. I I don't tend to like when we lose light, you know, like when the power goes out. Anybody have their power go out this last week? Maybe a few. But there is something beautiful about that when, all, when you lose all the ability to have electric light and you light a couple candles and you just go like, wow, the light does overcome the darkness, doesn't it? The darkness doesn't get to win. And not only is there nothing too dark in you or too dark that you've done that he can't overcome, but there's nothing out there that's too dark for him. And none of it will overcome him either. And so some of us, you know, we come here and this is like a beautiful refuge of being reminded that we, we are Christ people, that we know him, that we know life, that we know light, that he's constantly changing and transforming and delivering. And then we go out to a world that's really dark, very discouraging at times, oftentimes very depressing. You go to work and you look at how it's oftentimes people are just out for the, themselves and willing to throw every, everybody under the bus to get whatever they need. And, and you, some of you are coming from families of significant brokenness and pain. And I could go on and on and on, but there's a lot of darkness out there. And so you just go, let's just stay here all week long. <laughs> you know, like just, just, just sit around with Jesus all week long. And you know, monastic communities did that, but we're, not, we're meant to be a monastic community in the midst of the dark world. We're meant to be a people of light in a a place of darkness. And the way that we do this, we bring the light with us because he is the light. The problem is, if we're not careful, we look to false lights. We look to substitute saviors. We put our trust in things that can't heal, can't deliver, can't make us new. And that's what happened with the early Christian community as well. 
which is why John has to write the next few verses. Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. Don't miss that. He was not the light. Because some of the people are sitting around going like, well, John died and Jesus died and Jesus isn't with us and John's not with us. So maybe John's the savior. Maybe John is the guy we should be looking at. So this, is started, this thing started in the early church where they were asking that question. And John, this John, not John the Baptist, this John says, no, he came to bear witness to the light. He was not the light. John, then 15, he says, John bore witness about him. He cried out, this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, later on in John chapter eight, we're gonna hear Jesus say, before Abraham was, I was, which is his way of saying, I is, I'm pre-existing all of you, okay? So, which is re really important as we continue to walk through the nature of who Christ is. But I want you to hear this. John, empowered by the spirit, is setting a warning not just to the church back then, but to us now, that the tendency for all of us is to platform someone other than Jesus in our life. To be misled to think somebody else is the one we should be looking to instead of him. And I've watched people walk away from the faith because they observed the witness, a witness to the light fail them. A pastor, a leader, whoever it may be. And that, that, that leader might have even been pointing them to Jesus, proclaiming Jesus. But the problem is, is every leader other than Jesus Christ will fail you eventually. And some of you are going like, I don't want that. Don't follow a human leader other than Jesus Christ. That's how you save yourself from that one. And you know what happens? We then walk away from the faith because the person failed us, but the problem isn't the person. The problem's in you. You let somebody else replace Jesus in your heart. You, you platformed the wrong light. Someone who was a witness to the light became for you the light. And unfortunately, if they failed you, then you think that Jesus failed you because you think they're Jesus. Instead of going like, no, Jesus never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you're going to reject Christianity, reject Jesus and everything that he is, but don't reject his representatives as though they somehow are better than he is because they're not. And he will not fail you, I promise you. Remember, we are not the light. I want to say this family, I am not the light. I just bear witness to the light. And that light happens to dwell in me by his spirit, but I am not the light. I will fail you if you look to me to be anything that Jesus can only be. Let me ask you this. From looking at your life, what would you say, if people were looking at your life, what would they say you think is the light? What is it you're believing in? What is it you're trusting in? Who is it you're looking to? Who have you put up on a platform in a way that they shouldn't be up on a platform? And to, just to make sure I define believe, because who are you believing in? Who, what are you believing in? Uh, it's important to define the word believing, and especially in light of John's gospel here. Bruner's definition of believe is this. Believing is first the receiving, not the performing of a good work, and then it is the receiving that someone else constantly gives and does. And then he clarifies just to make sure Jesus did it all. Believing in him receives it all. So he wants to say, like, what, what work are you trusting in? What activity are you looking to? What person is doing something for you that you've been allowing your heart to see replacement take place where that person starts to take the place of Jesus for you? 
Now, the other side of it is, he's also trying to help us understand there's something beautiful about the gospel and that it doesn't start with works. It starts with faith and believing in the work that Jesus has done for you. So I just want to stop and ask, because this is how I know that what I'm believing in in the moment, it's whatever I'm crediting. It's whatever I give credit to. So I've met with wonderful Christian people who, when you're with them and you're t- you find out how they're doing, they're like, man, I just got to introduce you to this one particular speaker. Man, if you just listen to him, I'm telling you everything in your life's going to change. You're like, whoa, hold on. You know, or some motivational speaker that they listen to all the time or this book that changed their life or the Enneagram that now they understand really who they really are, right? And we can keep going and all those things are great tools and they can be helpful. But if you start crediting them for your life transformation then if you're not careful, you are exchanging the savior of the world for something far less. And I promise you, all of those things, whatever they are, will eventually fail. He will not. He will not. Verse nine, the true light, which gets light, gives light to everyone, which is quite a big statement to be clear, because what, what John led by the Holy Spirit is saying is there's not one person in all of the world that doesn't have access to the light. Gives light to everyone. Now, how it works that they can't see it, that's between God, between the Godhead. I don't understand that. Okay, and there's lots of books written about why, but I'm not going there today. But I want to be really clear everyone has access to the light. And I want to make this really clear. And somewhere or know they have access. I'm going to get to it in verse 10, it's going to be even clearer. I want to say this, there is no sense of true enlightenment apart from Jesus Christ. No true enlightenment can happen unless you get the light. And if he is the light that gives light and you don't get him, you don't get light. Let's be really clear. So you're sitting around going, man, I'm just just meditating and doing my yoga, nothing against yoga, but like, okay, I'm doing my yoga, I'm doing my meditation, I'm just trying to get in tune with myself and the, the, the all it in the universe or whatever it is you're doing. You're like, man, I'm just experiencing enlightenment. If you don't get Jesus, you didn't get the light, okay? He is the light of the world. Now, let me say this too. There's lots of things that, can lead you to the light. And so I'm not gonna discount all the means and methods that God might use as far out as they might be. But if eventually you don't get to Jesus, you didn't get enlightened. Not in the greatest form of enlightenment, okay? Verse 10, he was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now pause there because it's very important. This is pre-incarnate, verse 10. Verse 11 is incarnate, meaning the word became flesh. He, came, he took on flesh. But verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. What's that referring to? It's referring to what Colossians says, that through him all things were made and he was sustaining all the things that have been made. So the idea, according to Romans 1, is that all of the created realm is displaying the invisible nature and character of what God's actually like so that everyone on the world, everyone on the planet is without excuse. There's enough evidence that should lead them to God, just through the created realm. That's, what, that's what's happening here. And the light was in all of that. The logos, pre-incarnate Jesus, was already actively engaged in the entire world even before he showed up in flesh. Now that's amazing. In other words, he was, he was revealing for a long time before he showed up in flesh and said, now you see the fullness of the glory in my person. Now, the other thing that's important about that and I think is very, very important for us to wrestle with is that 
we now know because of verse 11 and 12 that apart from him showing up in flesh and now showing up through our words, sharing the truth about Jesus, people will stay in the dark. They need a witness to the light. Verse 11, he came to his own. Literally, he came to his home. <laughs> I love this. So it's like he showed up, he came back, he came to his house and his own people, his family, and they did not receive him. As you know, Jesus came to the Jewish people, God's chosen people, and led by the religious leaders, they rejected him to the point of having him executed. I, I have heard this said that there's a real danger if you're not careful to religion in the sense that the place where it could be the darkest is where your religious activity blinds you from the very person of God. It's very dangerous. In fact, I would say, if you're all about Bible study and prayer and the practices that we're gonna engage in, you, man, you love them and you, you like feel great about yourself because you do them, I would just warn you, if you don't get him through them, you might be in more darkness than you realize. Plenty of people who are religious all their life never know God. And John in one of his letters says, if you say you know God who is love, whom you can't see, and yet you hate your brother whom you can see, then you don't actually know God. Sobering. Jesus came to his own and they couldn't even see. They were so busy being religious, they couldn't even see the point of their religion, which is Jesus, the Messiah. Thankfully, the human tragedy moves to a divine comedy in verse 12 with the greatest news of all, but to all who did receive him, which is another way of saying they welcomed him into their home, their life. To all who did receive him, who believed in him, which is entrusting your life into his. In other words, he moves into your house, you move into his, and we make our home together. To all who received him, who believed in him, in his name, believed in his name, which is another way of saying his actual person, the reality of all that he is. To whoever received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Don't miss that, the right to become children of God. That, that means God's got your picture on his refrigerator and he's bragging about you in front of all the angels, right? Like, he's, he, he takes your bad report card, he goes, let's put Jesus's over that, you know? Let's put that on the refrigerator, Jesus' report card on Jeff. And then he goes to the angels, look at what Jeff did. Look at this, my son. I get credited the account of Jesus the son on my behalf because I receive him into my home, my life. I believe in all that he is and has done for me. And as a result, I get the right to be called a child of God. And just as God the father said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased over Jesus, he now says that over me because my life is in Jesus. That's really good news. The, the tragedy of our rebellion and rejection of God himself leads us to the comedy of the greatest news there ever was that we can sit back with joy and gladness and say, I'm his kid. I am loved. I am accepted. And nothing I do will ever change that. He gave the right to become children of God who are born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now notice the order here in John's, it, it, the Holy Spirit's inspired writing through John. Receive, precedes, believe. 
It's important. And there are three knots in this passage. Not of blood, physical. Not of the will of the flesh, psychological. Not of the will of man, spiritual. And all three of those are an allusion to Jesus' virgin birth. That, that, that Mary and Joseph had nothing to do. They did nothing. She just was a vessel through which God worked. It wasn't their planning, it wasn't their plotting, it wasn't their personal works. And what John wants us to understand, and we're gonna see it later in chapter three, that you and I must be born again by the Spirit, in a sense, like the virgin birth. Meaning, every single believer's new birth in the Spirit is just like the virgin birth in that, in that it was an outside kind of life given to you that you did nothing to receive. That's gonna come through the book. Now, some of you guys are going, there's a lot here. I know I'm trying to give you what John's doing is he's saying, don't miss all these things when you go through the story because it's all there. Now, I love how Bruner captures this idea of receiving before believing. He says it this way, but rather like the gift itself, this is called grace to be clear. Rather like the gift, grace itself, the ability to receive the gift we are promised is sheer divine gift. Just welcome him. Our text is bidding. He'll work the believing in you. And he'll work everything else in you the rest of your life as well when you make the simple decision to believe in him and to live with him believingly the rest of your life. In other words, he's saying is that all this is, and I want to say this to some of you who have been checking out Jesus maybe for a while. Jesus, Jesus at the porch of your life, knocking on the door going, can I make my home with you? Can, I, can we do this together? You are made for me. You are made to fit with me. Your life doesn't work without me. I'm here showing up, barging into your life. Here I come. And all you gotta do is go, yes. Come on in, Jesus. Now, in my life, he broke the door down, just to be clear, okay? He might be a little bit more gentle with you, but he broke it down with me. But if he's coming after you and he's on the porch and he's knocking, I guarantee you he will not stop pursuing you until you finally see that you need him and then you receive him by faith and then he'll help you to keep believing in him, which will lead to you really living. That's what'll happen. I know I experienced this. He changed me. I've told you, you guys have heard my testimony. I won't share my story together again all the way through, but I will say this. When I came back from Spain after Jesus got a hold of my life and I surrendered on my knees to him being the Lord of my life and he moved into this, this body by his spirit and I came home and got off the plane and I saw my mom and dad and my mom hugged me and the first thing she did after she hugged me was push me away, which scared me a little bit because I didn't, wasn't used to that. And she said, what happened to you? I said, what do you mean? She goes, you're not the same person. And I said, Jesus moved into my life. He got a hold of me and I will never be the same. And I say that because some of you, even in the room are going, I've never experienced anything like that. Today maybe is the day of salvation for you where he is saying, I'm coming in. Welcome me, receive me, believe in me so that you can find life in me. And all this is possible because of the incarnation. Verse 14, the word became flesh. And he dwelt among us. Peterson's language is he moved into the neighborhood. And we've seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father. And what the spirit through John wants us all to do is say, would you move into my neighborhood? My life? Yeah, he moved in there. That was a historical moment. But he doesn't stop moving. He's still coming to be with you. And we, we, there's so much we could do to unpack that particular text, but I, I love how Bruner says this. He says, this preexistent, 
divine, all creating, usually rejected, gracious Lord of the cosmos and of history, became in the very center of history again, down and dirty flesh. Not just spirit or even person, but a completely physical, real, fleshly human being. And to most of the religions of the world, that is a great offense because it says that the God who is transcendent came and dwelt in flesh amongst us and that doesn't happen. Gods don't do that. So they can't receive it. But for us, what is an offense is the greatest of glory because in Christ, we see the fullness of God. Listen to what he says. He came full of grace and truth from his fullness. We've all received grace upon grace. That's another way of saying grace that doesn't stop giving and it keeps giving what you need. You, you can sin a million times and you'll never out-sin his grace. And it doesn't just give you ongoing forgiveness for your sin and I'm not saying you take advantage of his, his grace because the reality is if you actually know how great his grace is, you want to stop sinning. But it also gives you not just forgiveness unending, but empowerment like you've never had before to live a life you couldn't live without him. Grace isn't just God's divine favor, it's also his divine presence, empowerment to enable you to live life you can't without him. And I love this how Bruner says it again, God, in God's incarnation, in the human Jesus of Nazareth, the absolute became relative, the almighty, a baby, the ancient of days, nowadays. <laughs> I love that phrase. The divine human, the eternal, temporal, the immortal, mortal, the infinite, finite. Why? So that in his fullness, he might meet you in your everyday life. So he would know what it's like to live your life and then he would give you what you need for the, the normal everyday stuff. I want you to hear this. He cares about everything in your life. He cares about how you did your hair this morning. Some of you look nice. He cares about what you ate, what you drank. He cares about who you hang out with. He cares about your job and how you go to work for his glory. And he wants to be for you in that place, the fullness of God present in your life, pouring grace upon grace upon grace for you. So that you'll never go to work again without the empowerment you need to do it for his glory. And you'll never live in a reality that you think your past and all your failure defines your present and your future because you've been forgiven, accepted, loved, and empowered by the very life of Christ. This is the gospel. It's the good news. And in case you're going like, well, man, it's like, I wish I could see God. He, he helps us see in verse 18. No one's ever seen God. Oh, wait a minute, the only God who's at the Father's side, speaking of the Logos, the Son of God, Jesus, he's made him known. So you wanna know God? Let me introduce you to Jesus. Let's travel through John together and say, God, would you show us yourself? Would you show us your fullness? Would you show us how that fullness gives grace upon grace? And since you came in the fullness of grace and truth, would you also show us where we are in the dark, where we don't know where we're going, where we have stumbled, fell, and walked away from you? And then we, like John and John the Baptist, will also hopefully be witnesses to the light ourselves because he will show up in our life and we'll go, man, I gotta tell you about this guy. By the way, I'm his beloved I'm his favorite disciple. He really loves me. And you know what? In some ways, you all can say that. If you get him, you get the love of the Father. And if you get the love of the Father, he loves you just like he loves Jesus the Son, which means he loves you the most. 
Amen? As we end, I want to ask you what truth you needed to believe. Remember I said at the beginning, God wants to speak a better word over you. He wants you to see the truth of Jesus. And I want you to ask what, what, what truth might you need to see and then receive so that you might continue to grow in believing. Maybe you need to believe, see and believe that he's eternal, that he is the eternal God and therefore he can redeem your past and give you hope for the future. You don't have to be afraid of what's coming. Maybe you need to believe that he's light, that he is the light, and that he can show you the way and overcome your darkness today. Maybe you need to see that he's the life and he can both show you how to live, but he can also give you an abundant life to live. Maybe you need to see that he's the only savior of the world and the only one who can forgive you and the only one who can rescue you. And you need to welcome him into your life today. Maybe you need to see that he is present just as he moved into the neighborhood, he wants to move into your life by his spirit so that you'll never be alone again. I don't know what you need today, but he has it because he came in the fullness, grace upon grace. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we acknowledge all of us don't see clearly. And so we invite the light of the world Jesus, by your spirit, to open our eyes to see, overcome our darkness, give us life abundant, give us hope that you have all things in your hand and you are in control. And Lord, we repent of any way in which we've rejected you. We ask you to forgive us and we want to turn back to what is true about you. Holy Spirit, would you help us to see today and help us to receive and to help us believe. Jesus, we are thankful, and we pray this in your name. Amen.